Gospel chapter 8, from verse 4, the parable of the sower. Quite often I find myself asking the question, why uh, doesn't everyone believe in Jesus and become a Christian? Why don't people get it? Why don't they simply respond and follow? Uh, Maybe uh, I've been preaching my heart out and felt I couldn't make it simpler, or I've heard somebody uh, preaching and listening with others, thinking surely everyone is going to respond to this message. And yet, uh, there is always a varied response to whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ is made clear. Now that question, why don't they all come, is probably one that was going through the minds of many of Jesus' followers at this time. We're told that everyone was coming out after Jesus from all the villages of Galilee. And yet at the same time, uh, there would be people who would be stopping following. And there would be people who would be drifting away. And we know that at the end of the story, some of those who once were enthusiastic for Jesus would be baying for his blood. And Jesus gives us the parable of the sower to account for this uh, mixed response to the preaching of the gospel. The message then for us this morning is take take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. It's quite likely that as our Lord was telling the story, uh, it was being enacted in front of them. Uh, Matthew tells us that they were by the, 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 uh, the lakeside and presumably they were looking out and perhaps there was a farmer who had gone out at that moment and he was sowing the seed. He was walking up and down in the, the old-fashioned way with a basket of corn round his neck, uh, scattering seed one way and then the other. And they would have seen the, the, the beaten soil with the path going alongside the field. And they would have recognized uh, some rocky parts of the field which had less potential for the seed growing up and giving a harvest. They would have seen perhaps thorns and thistles in part of the field. It was a, a living flannel graph, if you like. It was there before their very eyes as Jesus spoke his message. Parable of the sowers of the sower is one of the most important parables in the New Testament because it acts as a kind of key to the others. Jesus explains each part of the parable. He doesn't always do this, but he does it here, and so it acts as a as a doorway to the other parables. And he tells us also why it is he spoke in parables. Many people today think that uh, Jesus is a great storyteller. And he did that so that he could communicate clearly. The story is always an effective way of communicating. And it is. But Jesus himself tells us that that's not why he spoke in parables. He didn't necessarily speak in parables so that everybody could understand. He tells us instead that The parables are a way of reflecting God's right to choose who will belong to his kingdom. Verse 10, uh, you'll see Jesus explaining uh, this. He says, the kingdom of the secrets, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others 
I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is a remarkable statement. He's saying that the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. The parables are unfolding the knowledge of God's kingdom to some, but not to others. And so there's no one who can stand up before God and say, I'm a Christian because I deserve to be a Christian. Because Jesus is saying it's not because we are smarter than anyone else. It's not because we're better than anyone else. But it's simply that God in his grace chose to open our eyes and give us faith. So it reflects God's right to choose. And secondly, Jesus speaks in parables to judge unbelief. That's the other side of the coin, of course. If some people uh, are brought into the kingdom because the parables show them the, the secrets of the kingdom, then the others are ruled out. Those that God doesn't choose are aren't good people who are deserving of heaven and who'd get into heaven if only God had showed them the way. It's not that way at all. There are people who have been rejecting the light that they had and the parables come as a way of confirming judgment on those who reject the truth. So the parables always result in two groups of people. It's what the gospel always does. Two groups of people, those who believe, those who reject those who follow, those who don't. Humanity is always being divided up by Jesus into two groups. Not three, just two groups. We're either following or not. So let's look at the parable. We'll look at the main features of the parable. There are three main features. And then what Jesus says the parable means, his application. The man going out to sow in the traditional way uh, going up and down the, the road uh, up and down the, the field uh, is the sower who's lavishing the seed on the ground. He's sowing indiscriminately. He's not uh, sowing simply on the, the good parts of the field. He's sowing all over. Uh, up and down he goes and we see different parts of the field where this, the seed is falling and then, uh, as Jesus goes on, it's as though we've got a kind of uh, time-lapse photography. We see how the, you know, the time-lapse photography where you see uh, the cameras on uh, a living object and it tracks its growth over time and then the camera speed it up so you see the growth of this plant or this animal very rapidly. And we have here uh, time-lapse photography of the growing fields. We see some of the seeds going up so far and then withering away, some growing up so far and getting choked out, some growing up so far and yielding a great harvest. And there's four different soil types. Well, each of the parts of the story has a significance, and Jesus explains the significance. There's a seed. What's a seed? That's quite easy that Jesus tells us. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the Bible, the scriptures. The Bible is how people hear about the way things are. As we read the Bible, we learn that we need 
We need a solution to our problem. We have rejected God. We're not in a relationship with God. And that's serious. And the Bible tells us that God has provided for us a way of escape. He has provided us with a savior. And like seed, the, the word of God is living. It's amazing. I always think it's amazing. In a little seed, in an oat seed, you have this life contained within the seed. That seed's planted and it's going to grow up to a fully mature plant. The life is contained in the seed. And it's the same with the scriptures. This is a living book. The, the word of God is living and active. It has life in it. There is power in this book. As I read this book, it arrests me. It, it, it grasps hold of me. It imparts knowledge to me. It brings life to me. What I didn't have before, I find in the Bible, it is a living book. And people down through the ages have discovered that that is so true. All of you, I'm sure, uh, are familiar with David Suchet, the, the actor who plays uh, Hercule Poirot, amongst other things. Uh, you may not have known, but he's a Christian. And he came to faith after a long search. He was in uh, a hotel room between uh, plays, and he was going over and over and over in his mind the, the big questions of life that he'd been pondering. And then uh, he, he tells us his story. He says that he was... He was sitting and he was lying in, in a hotel bathtub soaking and thinking when I thought, this is it. I've got to find an answer. I leapt out and went looking for a Gideon Bible. But my hotel room didn't have one. So I phoned a religious supply store the next day as if I were asking for porn. Do you have a Bible? I whispered. And the man replied, yes, we sell Bibles. That's what we do. Once he had a Bible in his hands, Sushi flipped to Romans, which is actually a very good place to go. But he says that he found the first seven chapters of Romans really difficult. He didn't understand it until he got to chapter eight. And then he began to understand. And the Bible began to grip him. The living word. The Bible is living. That's why uh, in Hope Church we want to encourage everyone to read the Bible with those who aren't yet Christians because that's how people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the word which is living which is the power to transform lives. So that is the seed the seed is the word of God and it's living the sower is the person who shares the word in the parable it's primarily Jesus but it's everyone that shares the word, the message of the Bible. And one of the purposes of the parable is to encourage Jesus' people, Christians, to share the Bible and not to be discouraged if there are not always immediate results, the kind of results that we look for, because the word is always doing its work. Even in those who do not respond, it's doing its work. It's exposing unbelief as well as bringing life. The word is always working. Before I was um, a minister, I used to work in, in agriculture. I was an agricultural advisor. And one of the things I used to end up doing a lot was answering a call to go and see a farmer who had a problem with uh, a crop failure. Maybe there was a field with, with patchy, uh, patchy emergence of barley or whatever. And you would go in and you would have a look at this field and the 
farmer would be standing, uh, waiting for the verdict, always hoping that you were going to say it was a faulty batch of seed. Because obviously, if it was a faulty batch of seed, you have a case against the seed supplier. But unfortunately, it was nearly always not a faulty batch of seed, but there was something wrong with the soil. It was bad drainage. It was compacted. There had been lime dumped there. There was something wrong with the soil. What the seed had done was it had shown up the soil. Shown up what the soil was like. The seed was living. It was active seed. It exposed the reality of the soil. That's what the Bible does in people's lives. It's powerful. The word of God is powerful. And so we're to share it. We're to be sowers. When David Suchet believed, uh, he recognized the power of the Bible in his life. And so he took out time uh, between uh, productions to record the living uh, NIV, the NIV audio Bible. 80 hours of reading the Bible. A lot of time to be reading out loud. Great to hear David Suchet reading the inspired word of God. But he did that. He devoted that time because he's convinced of the power of the word. It's living and active. So that's the, the word, that's the sower. And then the field. The field is the human heart. The word of God sown into different kinds of people's lives. Some have a good heart. Others choke out the life of the seed. Now when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's encouraging each one of us uh, to search our hearts. To take appropriate action to be good soil. Now, whilst only God can, can give good and honest hearts to those who are dead in their sins, we're to seek God for these things. So he who's ears to hear, let me hear. What then about the application of the parable? Jesus says that there are four kinds of response to the word. People's hearts, people's lives are like four different kinds of soil. One is the hard, a flinty path. Another is thin, rocky soil. A third is soil which is infested with weeds and thorns. And the fourth is good soil where there's a potential for great results. There are three superficial responses to the gospel. And there is one genuine response to the gospel. A person may move towards that fruitful position over time. Uh, those of us who are Christians this morning may look back on times when we were actually like the path. The seed was sown and it was bouncing off our lives. But in God's grace, he drew us to that point where we received the word as fertile soil. Let's look at each one in turn. First of all, then, there's the path. In the lives of some people, uh, preaching, like I'm doing now, explaining the Bible, is like sowing seed on a stony, hard path. I had a friend uh, in the ministry who was once in a church in Dumbarton, and he said it was so hard there. He said it was like sowing seed in concrete. <laughs> he moved to a different church, 
And he preached the same message. And people were believing. And they were confessing Christ. And his church was growing. The path would be a strip of ground uh, running around the field, which would have been beaten so hard by constant traffic, people walking along it, that there was no way the seed could penetrate. It just bounced off the ground and the birds came and took it away. And Jesus, in his explanation, speaks of the devil coming and taking away that seed. The seed's not buried. If you don't uh, get the seed harrowed in, covered by the soil, then the birds will take it away. And he says the the devil is like the, the birds that come and take away the seed. And the gospel is simply not taken into the lives of the people who are hearing. Now, this would have been the case with some of the people standing in front of Jesus. We can imagine it was a lovely spring day. They were by the Sea of Galilee, Matthew tells us. And people would have been, it's in the open air. The crowd was uh, kind of ill-defined. And some people would have been chasing after little toddlers, trying to keep them quiet, keeping them under control. Some of them would have been uh, simply admiring the scenery, uh, watching what was going on, uh, people coming out of the nearby village. Uh, Others would have been enjoying the the warm, balmy weather and were gradually drifting off to sleep. And when these different folks went back home and reported on what had happened that day, they would have said, oh, we had a great time today. We were out with Jesus and there was a big crowd. Hmm, that's great, would come the response. And what did he say? (laughs) Oh, uh, I can't really remember. I was too busy uh, thinking of other things. Satan loves to divert people from engaging with the most important thing that we have to engage with. There's a very interesting little book by C.S. Lewis, uh, the the author of the the Narnia Chronicles, you know, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, called The Screwtape Letters. And it's a book which is written by a senior devil to his junior. And the senior devil is instructing the junior devil how he can distract Christians, how he can derail people who are serious about following Christ. And in the book, uh, Lewis describes uh, a man who goes into the British Museum and he sits down to read certain books that are there and something that he reads suggests to him a thought about God and he's inspired to think about him. And for a while, it looks as though he's going to think this idea through And then Screwtape manages to divert him with the thought that it's time for lunch and that he would be in far better shape to tackle this important subject once he's got a full stomach. Screwtape goes on to say, once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got him into an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. So that's the first soil. There's no real engagement with the gospel. The second soil is one that shows early promise. There's a a very quick response to hearing the gospel. This person might join in with Christian things for a while, uh, may talk enthusiastically, may become quite emotional about uh, 
Christ and, and uh, the gospel. But then something happens. They come up against opposition. Jesus speaks about testing. There comes a, a time of testing. And that always happens. Jesus warned would-be followers that there would be opposition. But there are some people who think, oh, it's going to be so great. It will be onward and upward and everything is going to be so rosy. And then someone calls this person a Bible thumper. (laughs) Or says that they're just too good to be true. Or they laugh at the fact that they're going to church. And if the seed hasn't really taken depth, if this person's not really converted, it's enough to put them off for good. And very often, the kind of thing that somebody in this category will say, well, well you know, <laughs> I'm just taking time out, I've got my own problems to deal with, and I'll get back later on. But you know what? The seed was sown thinly. There wasn't really a change. And that's the end of their interest. The third soil is soil that's infested with weeds. And this person seems to show a longer period of time in which they are loyal than the other two. Uh, The third person, the third soil, represents the person who has a divided loyalty. They want to follow Jesus, but... They've got other things that are very, very important to them as well. And they really want to be popular. Uh, They like to be well thought of. And, you know, they've got something good going on in their career. They're climbing the career ladder. And they're putting money away for, for that special holiday. And, well, these things don't always fall into your lap. They come with worries and anxieties. And you tend to think about them a lot. And they become preoccupations. They fill their every waking hour. And eventually, all thought of Jesus is squeezed out. The love of riches worries about this present life that's passing away. Choke out the life. There was a superficial response. Again, nothing wrong with the seed, which was the word of God, That's not lost its power. Nothing wrong with the sower. He did his job of scattering the message. But the problem was was with the individual. Uh, He had no real root in his life. And eventually, desire for riches has choked out his response to the gospel. And then we come with great relief and joy to the fourth soil. Here is someone who has thought things through. Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost of being a disciple. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and come after me. This person has thought it through. He's counted the cost. The seed has found good, deep soil. He commits himself to turn away from his old life and follow Christ. He begins to put into practice what he has heard and from a little understanding. He gains more understanding. And there's a different scene in his or her life. Uh, the grain, the yield, the, the yield of, of grain represents uh, the 
distinctive life of a believer. It stands for a change from the old to new, from the language that we have on our lips, from cursing to words of blessing, from selfishness to serving others, from ignorance of the Bible to enthusiastic study of the Bible, from prayerlessness to being eager to pray. It stands for a sensitive conscience that seeks to please God in all things. And all of these things show here is a true believer because they can't be counterfeited. It's good soil. Seed is sown in good soil. (coughs) Let me make some closing applications. First of all, for those of you who are following Jesus, and then uh, one for those of us who are not yet Christians. Let's all examine our hearts to see whether the word of God has taken root and is bearing fruit. Because fruit in our lives... Changed lifestyle is the only genuine evidence of being a Christian. The fact that other people think you're a Christian is no real sign. Past experience, emotions, decisions, they're no uh, sign. The sign is fruit. So what kind of soil does the word of God show your life to be? Are you pressing on in the Christian life? Do you love to talk about the Lord? Are you praying? Are you studying the word? Are you eager for fellowship? Let's ask ourselves these things. Secondly, uh, if you are uh, a believer, are you confident in sharing the word of God? Jesus has given us this parable partly to encourage us to be confident in the power of the living word. Where you get the chance Read the Bible with someone who's not yet a Christian. Don't miss an opportunity to do that. Because it's dynamite. It's the power of God for salvation. It's living and active. Just as it has transformed your life, it's capable of transforming others. And it's a great adventure. You simply do not know what God may do when his word is released. Great God And the living word. And then finally, if you're not a Christian, then let this parable encourage you to trust Jesus. To trust Jesus. And to go on to a life that's full of good fruit. I wonder if you know of uh, the writer John Bunyan. Uh, He wrote that great classic, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Well, I wonder if you know that it was actually a verse from this parable that converted him. A most unlikely part of it as well. Uh, verse uh, 12 I think it was that speaks about the devil coming and pinching away the seed of the gospel John Bunyan was a notorious man he was always cursing God he was regarded in his village as the least likely person ever to become a Christian and this verse had such an impact on him he said even the devil knows that if a man believes the word He'll be saved. So he believed. And he was saved. And you'll be saved also. If you believe. In the living word. That testifies. Of a great saviour. Father we thank you for. Your word we thank you Lord. That we can share it this morning. And that you are sowing seed in hearts. 
Lord, we cannot see into each other's hearts, but we pray, Lord, that you would reveal our own heart, that we might be good soil that responds to Jesus and his wonderful salvation. In his name we pray. Amen. Right, well, we're going to come to a really happy part of our service this morning. We're going to have uh, Janet and Maureen and Laura uh, coming to confess their faith in Jesus. Maybe the three of you can come to the front seats uh, just now, just to the front row here. And the children are going to come and join us. We'll fit them in somewhere. We'll fit them in uh, in the back. (laughs) I asked uh, three girls if they would uh, email me a little description of how it was they came uh, to trust in Jesus. Because we're a very sensitive, caring church, we, don't, we didn't ask them to say it themselves. I'm going to read out uh, part of what they, they said. And I hope that uh, you'll be able to share something of the joy that we had uh, as elders when we heard them speak about how they had come to faith in the Lord Jesus. really like the children to hear this as well, so we'll maybe wait until they arrive. Shouldn't be Good, good to see you back, uh, children. What we're going to do now is we're going to hear the stories of uh, Janet and Maureen and Laura, stories of how they came to trust in Jesus. And then they're going to answer some questions uh, which will allow them to say that they're following Jesus. And we're going to welcome them as members of our congregation. And uh, three elders will will come and shake hands with them on your behalf. But you can all do the same afterwards and greet them into membership of the church. Here's Maureen's story. I was brought up in a Catholic family. However, in my teenage years, I no longer practiced the Catholic religion. In my early 20s, Jehovah Witnesses came to my door and I let them in. We began discussing their beliefs and I was very interested in what they had to say. I remember the woman asking me, did I know the meaning of the Our Father prayer? I said the Our Father prayer aloud and realized I had no idea of its meaning. She went on to explain that thy kingdom come was about Jesus coming back with his kingdom on earth. I was intrigued and wanted to learn more, but I didn't want to join the Jehovah's Witness Church. My mum and I then joined a church in Glasgow. This church kept the Old Testament laws and didn't focus on the gospel. I soon became disillusioned and left the church after a couple of years. Many years later, I attended a Christian church for a short time and was baptised. However, due to various circumstances, I felt unable to attend church at this time. In November 2013, I wanted to attend church again, so I asked a neighbour if she knew of a Christian church I could attend in my area. Not being from Coatbridge, I had no idea where to find one. She pointed me to Hope Church, and I've been here ever since. It has taken almost my whole life, but I feel I've finally found the church God wants me to be in. 
Having the Lord in my life helps me to carry on regardless of what's going on. And I have hope for the future and a better understanding of why the world is the way it is. I'm also overjoyed to learn that I'm saved by grace. This is a very new concept for me and one that has brought me great peace. That's Maureen's story. This is Laura's story. I went to Sunday school in Girls' Brigade as a little girl, but was never particularly interested in religion and knew very little about Christianity. As I grew older, I guess I jumped on the popular bandwagon of believing that religion was just a bunch of rules that were made up in the dark ages to keep the masses in order. And that since those days, science, the Big Bang, evolution, natural history, disproved the existence and reality of God and all that was written in the Bible. I guess I thought that only uneducated people believed in God or those who lived in poor countries as it gave them hope or old people who were nearing the end of their lives and erring on the side of caution. There seemed to be the commonly accepted perceptions of religion and faith from the people around me. This said, on deep personal reflection, I always felt a subconscious awareness of some sort of presence around me, one that I wished to hoped to, gave thanks to, and was sorry to, something that guided my conscience. Looking back now, I realise that that presence was God. Fast forward to around a year ago. I was having a bit of a rough time in my personal life and felt like I was at a bit of a crossroads in life. Some tough decisions had to be made and I felt pretty down about it. I guess I felt a bit lost. One night I was chatting to one of my colleagues, David, a biology teacher, on a staff night out. I asked him if he believed in God. The reason for this was that I was told that another colleague, who was also a biology teacher, taught evolution but didn't necessarily believe in it, as he was a creationist. I found this concept strange that someone could doubt all the evidence that there seemed to be for evolution, especially a biology teacher, and wondered what David thought of this I hadn't expected him to say yes, that he did believe in God, as I didn't really know that many people who did. But a smile spread across his face and he said, absolutely. And he told me he was a Christian. From then on, we had many amazing conversations about Christianity. He suggested that I go on a Christianity explored course so that all of my questions could be explored and answered by someone other than him. So I came to hope one Sunday evening, having heard that a Christianity explored course was running there soon after and haven't looked back since. I was overwhelmed by the warm welcome and kindness shown to me at Hope. I met so many lovely and interesting people. I had folk asking me around for dinner and to join in social activities, and I very quickly felt part of the church. People seemed genuinely interested in me and excited about my unfolding journey with God. Through Christianity Explored, I struggled with a few concepts, such as the concept of sin. I thought I was a good person, kind to others, compassionate and caring of others' feelings, non-judgmental, and that was enough. I deserved rewards. It took me quite a while to accept that try as we might to be good people, sin is innate in all of us, and that we need to be saved from this through Christ. 
I knew the story of Christ dying on the cross for us, but I guess I didn't really understand it. It didn't really affect me. But now, when I think of this, I feel totally overcome. My struggle with concepts has now reversed. I now struggle with grace. I no longer feel like I deserve to go to heaven on the basis of how I've lived my life. I find it difficult to accept that Christ suffered and died so brutally on the cross just for me, just so that I would be cleansed of my sin. None of us deserve that. The quote, I'm more wicked than I ever realized, but more loved than I ever knew, pretty much sums it up. I'm just so glad that I can thank God for all that he's done, for how he's come into my life and continues to work in my life through praise and prayer. I feel like I have my best friend who knows everything about me and from whom I have nothing to hide right there at any time of day or night, waiting to listen and to comfort me. I didn't really understand the concept of our relationship with God, but now I do, and it's the most important relationship I've got. I am so glad I'm on this journey and so thankful that God has knocked on my door and has answered. I think differently. I feel differently. I see differently. I feel so much better, more peaceful, more content. When David gave me my Bible, he said to me before I opened the wrapping paper, this is either going to be the most useless gift you've ever been given or the best gift you've ever been given. And he was right. It's the best gift I've ever been given. Laura's story. This is Janet's story. I've come to know and love God and the fellowship of Hope Church by the following means. Katie, whom you all know, was born in October 2008 in Aberdeenshire, where we lived at the time. I didn't know why then, but it was really very important to me to have her baptised and brought up with faith in God. She was baptised in the local Church of Scotland, but it was impossible for Katie and I to attend regularly. In November 2012, Katie and I moved to Coatbridge under quite difficult circumstances and were taken in by my wonderful mum. We didn't know any children of her age here, so I immediately enrolled in various activities. It was at dancing school that I met Mary Wilson. While the kids danced about upstairs like the little divas we know they are, the accompanying mummies, aunties and grannies remained in the basement waiting room. We spent many months chatting about everything and nothing and over time it became clear to me that Mary was a Christian. Now this challenged all of my preconceived ideas about Christians. To be honest, I wasn't really sure what the term meant. I thought Christians were extremist Bible thumpers in the church. I assumed that the men would be extremely stern with big beards and dark suits. And the women would have crazy hair, home-knitted socks with holes in, long frilly skirts and Jesus sandals. I thought they were a boring bunch of party poopers who had oftentimes made my working life very difficult. But Mary wasn't like that at all. 
Mary was beautifully and quietly Christian. She didn't shove it down your throat, but it was clear that her church was a fundamental part of her everyday life. It began to sound to me a bit like a very friendly sort of big family. Even more perplexing was that Mary seemed very normal. <laughs> she was likable, funny, well-dressed. <laughs> this is going to get even more embarrassing, Mary. Here we go. Wore makeup and had stylish hair. Well, you can imagine, this completely blew my increasingly perplexed brain. Anyway... One day, we were discussing the impending summer holidays and local activities available for the kids. Mary mentioned that her church was holding a holiday Bible club for a week, that Alex would be going, and that Katie would be very welcome. So for me, that was one week out of six or seven taken care of, and it would give Katie the opportunity to learn a bit about God. If we liked it, maybe it would even be a church where she could be raised in faith. I didn't think for one minute that any of this could affect me. I was far too jaded, disillusioned with life and long in the tooth. This was for Katie. So we went along. And you know, it wasn't easy walking in the door that first day. Katie abandoned me by disappearing immediately to play. And I was offered a coffee or tea. Some parents dropped off their kids and went away, but there was no way I was leaving my baby with a bunch of strangers. I met Rowan, who had the biggest smile, and he couldn't have been more welcoming. Then these women gradually appeared from all different churches, and they were so friendly. We got chatting, and I started asking questions. Some, I realized later, quite challenging questions. But it was great. It was just so interesting. I was finding out so much about their belief systems, the differences and similarities. They spoke about the Bible, a book I'd never owned and didn't know. My ignorance was phenomenal. Let's be clear, we're talking here about a woman who thought Joseph was an Andrew Lloyd Webber invention and Jonah a Grimm's fairy tale. No kidding. These people were happy, they were at peace in themselves, and their common ground was the Bible. It was amazing, I couldn't get enough of it. At the end of the week, Rowan said we were welcome to come to church and that they always had a couple of spare seats. So we did, and here it began. I loved coming to church, and Katie loved it too. The sermons were enthralling. I continued to see the girls I'd met at summer school, and soon they became friends and such a huge source of information. They still are. If only I could believe in all this, I thought, but doubted that that could ever happen. It was too late for me. I was damned to never find the peace I'd been searching for all of my life. Ivor then told me about the Christianity Explored course, and I agreed to take part. Every Thursday for several weeks, we ate, then studied together, and all the time I was learning more and more. But I still had so many unanswered questions. My questions were a step before the course content of the book of Mark. Issues like, did Jesus really live? Is the Bible a reliable and true primary source? If God is good and all-powerful, how can he allow the innocent to suffer, etc.? plagued my mind. So I started to research the evidence. Ivor had given me a Bible and lent me a couple of books and I bought and devoured a plethora of books and trawled the internet for evidence. About the same time our course had come to an end. On the last day, we evaluated the course. Although I had really enjoyed it, I had to admit that when I read the Bible, it seemed like a great story but in my heart, it didn't feel real. That night, I struggled to sleep, so I read. I read and read the evidence over and over. 
And about 4 a.m. on the morning of the 8th of December, 2013, I went back to the Bible. It was a miracle. This time, I knew it was real. And I knew that nothing would ever be the same. The Bible was the word of God. And I had no option but to try to live by it. I had become a Christian. And that's Janet's story. Thank you for, for taking the time to, to put these things down on paper because it's a real blessing to, to hear how God has worked in your lives. Now, if you can all stand, and I'm going to just put questions to you that will, <laughs> that will allow you to confess your, your faith in the Lord. I would ask you one question at a time and then we'll take the answers one after another. Okay? Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in the sovereign mercy? I do. I do. I do. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Saviour of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? I do. I do. I do. Do you now resolve that promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Beloved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to all the privileges of full communion with God's people and in particular to participation in the sacrament of the Holy Supper charge you to continue steadfastly in the confession that you've made, humbly relying upon the grace of God in the diligent use of the means of grace, especially the word of God, the sacraments and prayer. Rest assured that if you confess Christ before men, he will confess you before his Father who is in heaven. Now, the elders will Join me in giving you the right hand of fellowship and then we'll pray. We're going to pray for our, our three sisters now. Let's start and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise and we thank you for your grace in the lives of Laura and Maureen and Janet. Thank you for the testimony that they have to the saving grace of Jesus Christ that they have shared with us. And we thank you for the encouragement that that is to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless them and that they would go on with the Lord Jesus Christ, bearing good fruit for him, that they might witness a good confession before others and at the last be taken and together with all your people into your presence. May the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while perfect, establish and strengthen you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. <coughs> Amen.
We're going to sing uh, Oh Happy Day now. It seems to be a, an appropriate uh, way to finish our service today. Oh Happy Day that fix my choice in Thee, my Saviour and my God. Well, may this glowing part rejoice and tell its raptures all the time. 